I'm Molly O'Connor. And I'm Sarah Connell Sanders. And you're listening to Pop It. This is the podcast for popping questions, popping bottles, and pop culture. Today we are here with Amanda Thiner, who has a game design background, and she is based out of Worcester, which is very exciting. Very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of popping bottles, we are drinking a couple of margs this evening. They're delicious. They are leftover from your big time 30th birthday. (laughs) Oh, yeah. By the time you're hearing this, Molly is an old lady. So (laughs) my tweet was going to be tonight. I was going to be like, this bitch about to be 30. (laughs) That's what I was going to tweet. This is it. Molly's 30 tomorrow. I'm very excited. (laughs) But I'm also very excited about this because one of the things I was going to buy myself for my 30th birthday was finally a Nintendo Switch. Oh, nice. (laughs) I was like, this is going to be my birthday present. And then my boyfriend was like, you just bought a laptop. And I was like, but I need it. I need to get the Super Mario Important. anniversary back. Yeah, COVID era purchases. Yes. Well, I guess that's a good one to start with. Mm. What is your console of choice? Um, mine, I love PlayStation. I've always been a PlayStation girl since I was little. Do you like um, like Crash Bandicoot? Yeah, of course. That's what yeah. I grew up with. Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, all of those. Do you remember Rayman? Yes, I wasn't as much <laughs> of a Rayman fan. I always like bring it up because I just like remember it. And for a while, I was like, "Did I invent this game?" Like, <laughs> it's so weird. And then someone was like, "Yeah, he's like kind of a guy." And I was like, "I always thought he was a kangaroo." Like, I don't even know what the deal was. We just had a Sega when I was growing up. It was my stepdad's, but now my husband has a PlayStation. So I guess I'm on the right track. Sega was cool though. Cause they were like the original Sonic. That was like where Sonic came from was Sega. Like they, mm-hmm. uh, the other places like licensed it, but like Sega was it for Sonic. And Amanda and I got connected through a 40 under 40 award ceremony. And at the end of it, it was really weird because of COVID, you know, it was all on YouTube. And I was like, that girl is really cool. <laughs> so I just like on a whim yeah. sent her a Facebook message and she's like, yeah, I'll talk to you guys. Yes. Awesome. <laughs> I love it. A professor at Becker since 2012, Amanda Thiner has developed 15 new courses and taught more than 200 classes while continuing to build Becker's renowned video game design program. Part of the master's in fine arts uh, program that she heads up at the school. Despite its relatively small size, the video game design program earned a 10th in the world ranking by the Princeton Review. She has also designed marketing strategies and recruitment events to encourage younger students, helping them find their own passions. And here's a fun fact. Last year, Amanda began selling handmade art and homemade decor made from natural materials and crystals. But tell us how you ended up in the game design world. So I, I was always playing games like Crash Bandicoot and Spyro and Tetris. And my mom was actually super into video games as well. She loved playing Zelda. Oh, cool. Uh, so I also loved art. I was kind of like an art nerd in school. So I, when I was like, okay, what am I going to do for a career? I wanted to combine those two things in art and technology. And, and that just kind of landed very neatly into game development because it combines all the things that I loved. So yeah, that's how, that's how I got there. Um, and then from there, I, like I'm still in game development, but through Becker College that just evolved into teaching and now like administrations so now I'm kind of like more in the higher education, but I'm still a gamer and I still make games occasionally. I was shocked to find out how prestigious Becker's program is. 
but don't you guys, you have like a national ranking? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been ranked by the Princeton Review for the last, I think it's 10 years now, um, as long as they've been doing one on game development. And we've always been in the top 10. I think last year we were number two. And then also the MFA program that I'm in charge of was um, ranked number 10 last year for MFA programs. I think it's, I think that goes to show like if, especially like colleges, universities higher, like if they take care of a specific subject and decide to become really good at it, right? Like Becker was like, this seems to be a niche that we've found. That's like such an awesome thing. And they've like really put in the effort to, to grow that. Yeah, it's grown so much. When I was in the program, I started in 2006 and it was me and 20 other people. That was my whole degree program was 20 people. And then now each graduating class is about 130 people. We have like 100 game students total in the in the department. So it's definitely grown a huge amount over the last yeah. And I know you're particularly invested in attracting girls to your field, which is so cool because that was how Molly and I started this podcast. We wanted to talk about male-dominated fields and women who are entering those spaces. Um, Can you talk about how you're attracting, especially young girls? We're both school teachers. Yes. Yeah. Children who are super into games. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. The, um, we do a lot of programs at Becker for that too. Like we had, um, we do a summer camp that's really fun for girls in seventh and eighth grade. And we do that through the Worcester boys and girls club, Well, Worcester and Rhode Island, there's a couple that they get bussed in to campus every morning and it's a week long camp. And we just kind of show them, like we show them positive female role models. We have a bunch of students from the program kind of act as TAs for the, for the program. And then myself and another professor kind of run the different activities throughout the day. And we show them gaming, we show them robotics, we show them um, art. I like to include art in STEM. So it's like STEAM, S-T-E-A-M. I do that too. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's just really great. I think that's the number one thing is showing positive female role models and then just showing them how much they can do in that field, like how many different areas of interest there are. Can I ask when you started in that program with like 20 or so people, how, like what percentage of that was women? I was the only one. Oh my God. I was wondering if it was going to be something like that. I was like, oh wow, that's. Yeah, it was, it was yeah. just me in my year. And I was friends with, with all the guys. Like we had a great yeah. time, you know? Um, and then now though, it's evened out a lot. Like it's, it's, I mean, it's not 50, 50, but now in, in the program at Becker, it's probably, I want to say like 30, 70, it's getting there. Better. Yeah. <laughs> And that's a product of representation too, you know, you showing up as the only woman the first time is so important. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was reading like, it must have been an excerpt from your thesis or something, but you were talking about the discrepancy between tangible physicality and virtual actuality. And I was like, I'm going to need a little explainer here, (laughs) but I know we both just watched The Social Dilemma and... I don't know. I'm kind of on edge about my social media presence right now. So I was wondering if you could tell me, what does this mean? Tangible physicality and virtual actuality. Yeah. I always found it really fascinating blurring the line between physical and virtual. So tangible just means like you can touch it, right? So I really liked the idea of that being able to touch something digital because you can't, you know, because it's on the screen. 
Um, so I guess the best way to describe that was how I did it through that project. Um, it was my thesis project when I was in grad school, and then I actually revived it last year, and it was in the uh, Sprinkler Factory Gallery in Worcester for a little bit. Ooh, we yeah. love the Sprinkler yeah. Factory. It's such a great spot. But yeah, so the way that that piece works is that it it's virtual, it's a, a game kind of, which is basically just these particles that fall and using a projector, I project those falling particles onto a Velcro wall. And then there's pieces like Tetris shaped foam blocks attached to the wall with Velcro. And then you can move those foam blocks around. But the important thing is that the digital pieces that are projected on top of them interact with the physical blocks. So you can move them around and the best part is watching people interact with it because they do like, so they just make up their own games with it. Some people like try to build it up as tall right, as they can. Blocks. Yeah. They, they try to, it. It. Mm-hmm. they're like make Tetris out of it. <laughs> like it's just so that's fun. That's what I would do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's basically just blurring the line between the two. I think is really fun. That's super, super fun. And I know you've looked into some of the psychological implications of game theory, especially when we're talking to the parents of our students and thinking about our own (laughs) mental health. Um, What are some of the psychological implications of game theory that we should all be aware of? So, I mean, I like to focus on the positives of what, like, Mm -hmm. so what playing games can help you with, right? Um, It definitely helps with in in developmental years, like hand-eye coordination, creative problem solving, memory and focus, but also everything in moderation, of course. Um, But yeah, it's, I think it can help with all of those things. But like you're saying with the social dilemma, like you have to be careful about what you're putting out there and what you're sharing. So it's, it's always, you know, you got to find the right balance of playing games and being online and stuff. But there's also the social element I think is really important. And that, now is like more relevant than ever, right? Because we're all like detached (laughs) and secluded. Yeah, for sure. I was asking students like what media they use and interact with that makes them really happy. And I was asking them to like think about why. And a lot of them were saying games like Minecraft and Roblox and those kinds of things. And when I asked them to actually think about what about those things made them happy, they all brought up the element of like playing with their friends or family. And I thought that was so interesting because it really is like, I think people think about gaming as in terms of like a, like, you know, a guy alone in his mom's basement or whatever. (laughs) There's still that like stereotypical idea. And I think that when we were kids, it was very, it was like social for me, at least in real life with like my cousins and stuff. But I think now it's so cool that like kids are really associating that stuff with being social and like sharing and creating and having those interactions. Yeah, definitely. I actually have um, two of my best friends. They, I always like to tell this story. They met through an online video game when we were in college 12 years ago and they're getting married next year. So (laughs) that's just like a great example. Can I ask what game they were playing? Uh, World of Warcraft. That's what we played in college. Um, When I was in college, I took a class, uh, well, I took a research writing class. So just like the basic class. And so every professor basically could like have their, the subject of it be whatever they want. And I had a really cool professor who was like, our subject for research writing is going to be world of warcraft so like as part of class we all had to like make accounts and get on and like learn about the game so that we could then write about it that is so cool (laughs) it was really cool and i feel like a lot of us 
some people like were into it and like knew about it. And like, I had never played it. So for a lot of us, it was just like that entry into being like, Oh, this is what it's like. You know, mm-hmm. have you personally like found any friendships or relationships from like playing social <laughs> games? Um, definitely. Yeah. And so we all, I feel like all of my friends from college, we all stuck together because of world of Warcraft, honestly, because <laughs> We, after we graduated, we all still played together until, you know, we all moved out of our parents' houses and kind of congregated close together so we could play in real life again. But it was, it was funny because in college, even though we were playing online, so we were all together online, we would drag our big computers out of our dorm rooms <laughs> into the common area. And we had wires because we didn't have good Wi-Fi on campus at the time. So we would just have wires like running Ethernet all cords. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, and so we wanted to play together, like in real life, even though we were all playing together online already. Like it was just double social aspect. What is the magnitude of esports right now in the college environment, especially given that actual athletics are kind of in jeopardy because of the virus? Yeah, it's pretty huge on our campus because we also have that esports major that just launched um, last year, esports management. Um, so cool! Yeah. <laughs> That's so crazy. And we have a we have a varsity team and we have a club. So there is a ton of of students that are interested at all different levels too. Some of them want to be professional gamers. That's their career goal. And then some are just playing for fun, but they want to play on a team so that they're part of that social aspect again. And then some, you know, the ones in the club, they're just doing it to get together with friends like a couple nights a week. Well, last year, that's what it was. (laughs) Right. Yes. So I also saw that you have done a lot of work with VR, with virtual reality in terms of education. And it could be at the college level or with the younger grades that we focus on in middle school and Molly's intermediate. So she's third, fourth, and fifth. How are you seeing VR impact education? It's VR is so cool. I, I think that there's a lot of potential for VR and, and, AR also. I don't know if you've heard of augmented reality and yeah, yeah. yeah. Can it's, you explain what is the difference? Yeah. So virtual reality is you put a headset on and you're completely enclosed in the headset. You can't see anything um, around you. And augmented reality is augmented and mixed reality are are a little bit interchangeable. Um, so augmented reality is like if you use your phone on Amazon and you know how you can like preview your furniture in your room now through your Mm -hmm. camera lens, that's augmented reality. And then mixed reality are, um, there's a couple different devices out there, like the Microsoft HoloLens, and there used to be one, a tablet called the Google Tango, where it can scan the environment and it knows where stuff is in a a more in-depth way than your, your phone camera. So it's mixed reality because it's like, it can sit a dancing bear like on your table, you know? I'm going to augment reality right now and put a Pokemon on the floor in front of oh, me. Oh, I see. I'm going to show Sarah. Molly's the only person I know who still plays Pokemon Go. Well, I stopped and then I restarted because <gasps> Ooh, they made there's it There's a skunk in here. <laughs> yeah, he's like a weird skunky raccoon dude. But I just, it's pretty, it is really, really cool. And I remember when they first introduced this, I was like, why would I want to do that? And now I'm like, this is cool. Like, it's like stupid, but. No, I love it. It's so fun. I played that for a while. So I had gotten it originally in 2016 when it dropped and everyone was just like going to park, like Elm Park and just like walking around doing it. 
And then I dropped it for two whole years. And then like a couple friends of ours were like, no, it's still really cool. They actually like made it more fun and social. And I was like, mm-hmm. perhaps I should play again. <laughs> and now I play again now just because you can like send your friends stuff. And like, so that's the bring, it, I mean, it goes back to that social aspect. Cause I think that's why a lot of people left was that you just had to be doing like one thing in order to like get anywhere. Mm-hmm. They had to adapt to like what people wanted. Yeah. And that's a great example too. Like when that dropped in 2016, that was such a unique experience. Like I feel like everybody kind of has similar stories, right? Like I remember walking (laughs) around in Waltham. I lived in Waltham at the time and it would, it was next to the Brandeis campus and we would go walk over near the campus around like 11 o'clock at night and there'd just be a group of 20 people there and you're all doing the same thing. (laughs) Yep. I remember um, a couple of my friends and I were like really it was, it must've been right at the beginning and we like, couldn't get a Jigglypuff. And that was like, our like white whale. We like needed, we were like, where we would see the, like, they give you like the little silhouette and be like, we'd be like, I know there's a Jigglypuff nearby. We have to get it. Cause that was what we wanted. We were like, we love it. It was, yeah, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> but in studying urban planning and things like that, we always talk about activating spaces using art mostly, but I think that that activated so many spaces oh, at all hours of the day and brought people out in Worcester to new locations that they would have never visited. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for sure. Know. Yeah. It was, it was so much fun. Do you remember Gamergate? Yes. It was Gamergate. Oh, Sarah. Oh. Give me a little summary. I forgot to mention this to you the other day. So it was like this... <sighs> In like 2014 or something, essentially what happened is that allegedly there was like a group of dudes, they were dudes, who were upset with what they perceived as like an unethical relationship between a video game developer and a journalist. And they were like, it's about ethics and game journalism. And then all of a sudden it turned into just serial harassment campaigns of like three women in particular who were involved in video game like Mm -hmm. video game development or journalism and it was like insane like women had to leave their houses like move away because they were being harassed and threatened it was really Um, dark time for the game industry it was Was it it just people trolling women like what was the catalyst it was that like that one it was like a post by this woman's ex-boyfriend basically alleging that like she was you know sleeping with a game journalist and that it was like causing them to like, it was people who were upset essentially about like the diversification and what they saw as like, you know, I don't know, liberalism or something of like what of like game development and that it was like becoming too one thing or another, like too, they were too many women or something. That was like the, like the tagline that became a joke. It like came around on itself and then it's about ethics and game journalism, but it was, it was huge. It was like, so from inside the industry, what did it look like? It was, we had a lot of discussions in class <laughs> about that. Like it was, it was pretty heavily debated topic because there were so many levels to it. But mm-hmm. the, the main thing, like, yeah, I guess it was about ethics and gaming. That was what it ended up being in the end. People thought that if, if that's how, but that happens, I feel like that happens in every industry, you know, like, right? like people, it's bias, you know, like if people, so they didn't want people reviewing games if they had a bias one way or another, you know, whether that's because they got the game for free or because they were sleeping with someone like, but like everyone has some bias, right. Then you could just say like, I don't want a woman to 
review Zelda because it has, because Zelda mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. one of the main characters. Like, you know, like you could say, you can ar- make that argument for anything. Yeah. The Tail ugly part that came out of that. that was, it was really the harassment was the issue. Yeah. Like ethics and gaming is whatever. You can talk about ethics in anything, sure. but like the harassment that some of these women faced was so over the top and extreme. And I mean, the internet can be just a really ugly place. So that can happen in any field too. But that was, uh, if anything, I feel like that was a catalyst for change. So Mm -hmm. in the end it helped, I mean, a a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think, and I do think that there must've been like some good actors somewhere in there. Yeah. Now you said that was a catalyst for change though. What do you think the future looks like? And I mean that in the broadest sense too. I mean like <laughs> your industry, your role, your career, but also technology and in particular artificial intelligence is progressing so quickly. What will tech look like in the next few years? It's it's kind of scary, honestly. I mean, the way that it's evolving, like so the other day I was waiting for an order from Sephora that I had ordered. Right. So I was like, let me check my email and see when it shipped. So I clicked on the email and the second I clicked on that email, the Sephora app sent me a notification with my tracking. I was like, how did you do that? Like, and I just didn't know that they were connected. Yeah. And that's great. Right. You're like, Oh, great. Exactly what I was looking for. That's the information. How did you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, how is the app reading my email or how does the app know that I'm on my Sephora email? Mm-hmm. So that was just like one of those moments or like, you know, when you're talking about a new vacuum cleaner and then you start getting ads. Yes. Mm-hmm. The weird like, thing for me is like, I understand that like, it's like listening to me and like, okay, like you can hear what I'm talking about. It's when I think things sometimes I, <laughs> sometimes I, I don't like vocalize things. And like, I don't, and I don't think that I'm like texting about them either. Like there are certain things that I'm like, what? Like, I think it's, you've given it so many data points to work with that it can predict things that you're going to like or need or want. Yeah. Which is, that's part of that social dilemma, right? It's like, it's cool and it's scary at the same time, but that's why. So I think what the future should look like is that (laughs) we're teaching kids in like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, like where there's a class about privacy and data protection and how to not make bad decisions online because that's out there forever. You can't take it back once it's online, you know, if it blows up or if it goes viral or if someone screenshots it or downloads it, like kids don't know that when they're that young. Yep. That's literally what it's like my job. It's like half of my job, (laughs) which is great. I love it. Um, There's a lot, a great line in the social network about that. Like the Mark Zuckerberg character is talking with this girl and who he's like kind of seeing and like really insults her. And then eventually she's like, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. So he gets mad. And like in the movie, this is like supposed to be like what caused him to like start the social network is that he was mad about this girl. And eventually he writes like a super mean blog post about her and he like sees her again. And he's like, what's wrong? And she's like in tears. And she's like, when you write something on the internet, it's not in pencil, Mark. Like you yeah. wrote it, you know, it's permanent. And I always think about that. Maybe it's just because Rooney Mara's acting in that scene is really good, but like that has stuck in my brain. There's like, no take back scenes. For 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really scary. So I think that kids need to be, because some of the, so like I was talking about the camp at Becker earlier, mm-hmm. how we have the, the girls camp over the summer and they're always like super interested and super happy to be there learning about games. But some of them as young as like sixth grade, 
they're streaming on their phones that like, Hey, I'm at this camp. Everybody check it out. And I'm like, well, how many people are watching you? And she's like, Oh, 200. I was like, what, what? You stop. <laughs> Stranger danger. Yeah. yeah. Well, they got to get moving on like more lifetime movies, I guess. Right. <laughs> It, like Lifetime movies super scared me about like gonorrhea. So I feel like if we can scare the kids about like computer viruses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Privacy oh, issues yeah. when yeah. it comes to our information are more pressing than gonorrhea. That's the new campaign. Right? Like let's do it. I'm ready. I'm down to do that. And what about your career specifically? What are you looking to do in the next 10 years? Uh, 10 years? Um, that's – that is – um. A lot. It's, I have a lot of plans. Um, so I, I mean, I love Becker. It's my second home. So I'm going to keep doing that. And, and, you know, game development and game stuff is, is definitely always going to be an interest of mine. But I did recently start my own business, like on the side, kind of an e-commerce and I was selling at events and stuff, but now there are no events. So that kind of, but it's all, it all has to do with um, crystals and metaphysical gifts. And I don't know if either of you are into that kind of stuff, but um, it's a really big interest of mine now. Cause you know, you change, you, you just change over time. So now like that's my main focus and eventually I want that to be my full-time thing. Oh, that'd be awesome. One of my favorite ASM artists has gotten really into crystals. So I like to watch her videos about them. Yeah. And I was just mentioning TikTok because it sounds like there will be some big decisions made later this week about TikTok and its viability as a Chinese company functioning in America. Yeah. And I've seen tons and tons of videos about crystals. And I was like, wow, I didn't think I was really into this, but the algorithm knows that I am. I must be watching these videos longer and longer. So do you make connections in terms of people's astrological signs, in terms of their needs? Like, how do you guide someone if they come to you and say, I want to buy a crystal for myself? Um, So what I like to base it on right now is I'm learning a lot about chakras. And so each one of your chakras is attached to an actual like biological point in your body, which is really interesting because there's like some, some biological proof behind the idea of your chakra system, but each one is a different color associated with it. So I like to go off of the color of the crystal and what that chakra represents. So for example, I'm not wearing it right now, but usually if I'm doing any kind of like speaking or teaching, I have a blue crystal, uh, soda light necklace that I wear and because it's blue and blue is the color of the throat chakra. So it connects in that way. And, you know, even if it's a placebo effect, like, Oh, I'm wearing this blue crystal. It's helping my throat chakra. It still works. Like the placebo effect is a real thing. So, I mean, I think it's more than that, but that's all. Yeah. (laughs) We talk about that a lot, like with astrology where it's like, yeah, sometimes the stuff is like so general, but a lot of the times I'll see, you know, like we have like the apps, we have like the pattern and co-star and stuff. And I'll see stuff that just prompts me to think, like think in a different way. And like, even if that's all it is that I'm like enriching my life. Yeah. It gives me that extra little push in the right direction. Absolutely. And it helps me like to know myself better, even if it's just through like my own brain working something out. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. So where can people find you in terms of crystals? So on Instagram, it's crystalcreations.guru, G-U-R-U, um, because it's also, I have, I own the web address, crystalcreations.guru instead of .com. Like you can do .guru. I was like, oh, oh that's, that's so cool. cool. <laughs> I didn't know that that was a thing now. That is cool. Yeah. Oh, I just found you. Yes. Awesome. 
That's great. Um, I was just going to ask one last question, which is, do you have any like portrayals of like gaming or like game development in like pop culture or media that you think are like really cool or interesting? Um, There's not a lot, but. Portrayals of it, you mean like in movies and stuff? Yeah, like in movies or TV shows or anything like that. The only one I could think of is, I don't know if you've ever seen Halt and Catch Fire. Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, it's the best. That's why I was going to be like, you remember like Cameron, they're like making games and doing all this cool stuff. Yeah, I love that show so much. I've watched it like twice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and do you think that that show um, in portrayals of like particularly the game development side seems pretty accurate? I mean, I know it's like from the 70s and 80s. Yeah, I think so. I think it seemed really accurate. Mm -hmm. Um, And me and my husband watched it together. And he's also, he's in software engineering. So he loved that that side of it too. Yeah. It's a really great watch. I think that it is accurate to the time period. Very cool. Yeah. And if, if you guys haven't seen um, the show, it's Housing Catch Fire. It's on Netflix and it takes place. It starts, the first season starts in, I think like 1980. Cause I think it's when the Empire Strikes Back comes out. Like that's <laughs> when it takes place it or starts, that was when yes. it was produced? No, it starts. Yeah. It takes place. It's like from the present and okay, it starts okay. in like 1979 or 1980. And then it spans up through like the nineties. So each season is like, mm a couple years apart, but, um, it, they're in Texas, which then was like the Silicon Prairie, they called it. And I think a lot of people don't realize this because we think everything happened just in Northern California, but there was like a lot of we, Texas instruments was like a huge computing, you know, overlord at that time. And so it's, it takes place, it starts in Texas and then it kind of moves on from there, but it just covers these four people's lives, um, who are game developers and software engineers and kind of where it takes them. And there's two, um, really dynamic woman characters. Is there any other pop culture that got you through quarantine? Pop culture. I like, I mean, I watch a lot of Netflix. <laughs> I've just been going through the list. I've, I think I've rewatched all of the office and parks and rec. Those are my yep. two go-tos. Cause they're just so happy. Like, yeah, you can yeah. put it on in the background too. Yep. Yeah. That's what I have on all day. It's just one of those two or like, uh, what's the other one? Um, Brooklyn nine, nine, all those. Yeah. Shows, those are great. Good to um, just decompress, take it yeah. easy for sure. Yeah. And just playing games too has been helpful. Like me and my husband like to play games together on the weekends. We'll like pick a puzzle game that we can play. That's like, you know, a five to six hour playthrough and we'll just trade off back and forth, like watching and playing and mm-hmm. great bonding experience and just like stress relief and just to relax. Do you have a current favorite? Well, we just finished last Sunday, we played Super Liminal and it's a really fun puzzle game that kind of messes with perspective. Like if you pick something up in front of you, it's this big, like, or you can't see my hands, I guess, but it's like, (laughs) it's the size of like, you know, a cup, let's say. But then if you put the cup against the wall and kind of like stand back, it makes the cup gigantic then. And when you interact Mm -hmm. with it the next time, it's huge. So you have to solve puzzles in that way. But those are our favorites is those kind of like, um, puzzle games where you explore the world and interact. Another one, just to have to put this recommendation out there, <laughs> The Witness is one of my all-time favorite games ever. The Witness. The Witness. I know. Yeah. What's the premise? One. It's very weird. <laughs> it's it's another <laughs> like explore the world type puzzle game and the puzzles are in the world, like in the scenery. And there's like no narration, no characters. It's just the environment, but it's super colorful and and beautiful. And it has all these different levels and all these different areas of the world. 
it's just a really good game. Very cool. That's what I was going to actually ask, like, if you had, like, an all-time Yeah, because I need an entry game. point, too. My husband plays mostly sports games, mm-hmm. which are not particularly in my wheelhouse. So the entry point of something that will hook me is important. Well, I, uh, yeah, I think puzzle games for sure are, are yeah. good for that. Well, I was telling Sarah just started skateboarding, so I told her to <laughs> oh, yeah. play Tony Hawk for a skater. <laughs> Yeah, that's the new one's coming. It's like out. fun, and well, and you can. It's like you know, you can kind of do whatever you want with it. Like, <laughs> there's no like you can go from place to place. Like, there's not like level up, level, but or you can just like explore, which is really really cool. Yeah. I was always like a Mario kid. I'm just like a Nintendo person. That's how okay. I grew up. So <laughs> I love that was it for me. Yeah, I'm all the Pokemon games on the Switch too. Yeah, just like any of that. I I wanted to play like low stakes games you know like that like could be like let's race or play a board game in a video game yeah 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 I don't want to be stressed out when I'm playing a game. yes the relax. only the most stressed I would let myself get was like I, I did enjoy the the James Bond games it's like uh-huh. I like Goldeneye and like yeah. even Nightfire I thought was like fun but Classics. yeah I think it just depends what in like what your aesthetic is too like some people are not into a lot of games but they like love the Zelda games because they're like beautiful drawn out worlds and so i don't know i love good world building i love storytelling zelda man like that's (laughs) i think zelda's a good place to start with that then definitely great yeah this was fun thank you so much for having on yeah i can't wait to meet you in person someday yes this is super yeah (laughs) yeah i wonder if they're gonna have an in-person event eventually for that 40 under 40 thing like a rain date i bet (laughs) they do a cocktail reception or something yeah in terms of your crystals too i was thinking ryan canwell and tim lower my becker contacts and both of them have like moved outside of becker but they're still under the becker umbrella you know Mm -hmm. i wonder if someday you'll be working in a becker office but running a crystal empire (laughs) (laughs) yeah if anything i could definitely see hopefully like you know, maybe I just slowly back off and then I'm just like teaching adjuncts and exactly. running my business. I could definitely do that. But working from home has helped with being able to manage both at the same time. I feel that way about writing too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Well, I have been Sarah. And I've been Molly. And this is Pop It. Pop it. <laughs>